Okay, so we are live today with Chelsea. And Chelsea, it's so funny because I feel like it's been, what's like 2020? It's been like two or three years since we've actually, right. like since we actually very first met, right? Yeah. Like we, we were both at Fort Bragg and we were there for, <laughs> I was running the 5K. Wait, it was only a 5K, right? Yeah, it was a 5K. Oh, it was only a 5K. Marathons. <laughs> yeah. And we were both there, like, alone. Neither of our husbands were there. And I don't even know how, like, who struck up the conversation first, but I, we're like, we're alone. Like, let's, like, run together. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of cool. I still have that picture. It just actually came up in I my Facebook too. memory. And yeah. I was like, wow, like, we look so different. And so much has happened since then because neither of us were even pregnant at that point. Like, no nothing at all like not even thinking about it <laughs> yeah so you guys moved to North Carolina for the military right correct okay correct when we moved to we moved to North Carolina for the military but then also um I needed my like job career style so that's why I chose to go into the gym business so and I opened up my gym in North Carolina knowing that we would be in North Carolina for a while Right. I remember. So it's, is it snap fitness? Is that what it was? It's work out anytime. Oh, work out anytime. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I remember when you, when I last talked to you about that, you said like you had a goal of opening, what was it like 15 or something? Gyms? Five. five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 15, 15, five, whatever. Like it was like some, uh, I was like, you go girl, you go girl. So how did that all like work out? So I opened one and then once I opened one, it was really, really great that it just kind of flourished and it took off. And so a year and a half later, we opened our second one. Unfortunately, life took a little curveball because we had some, you know, events happen and all that. And it kind of forced me to slow down and like realize, you know, the things that are going on in my life. But um, yeah, so we ended up with two and then now I'm back in school, which I'll talk more on that too, when we get into why I'm going to school. It's really cool, like being a military wife, um, because you get to see so many different things, you get to meet so many different people. But I feel like for a lot of people, uh, for a lot of women, it's kind of, and for me, um, in the beginning, it was like, I'm in my husband's shadow. Um, and so it's like, what am I, like, who am I, like, aside yeah like who am I aside from my husband and like I I don't want to just be like Jeff's wife or like or the military spouse you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. so I think it's super oh this is Kyle's wife and your name is again yeah (laughs) yeah and I think it's super cool that you like made something of yourself like in my mind it's like okay like I'm Chelsea aside from Kyle and I am going to do my own thing and I'm starting you know, like a gym franchise. And so I think, I think that was super cool that you, that you did something like that aside, outside of um, like your husband's shadow, like quote unquote shadow. So basically I just wanted to have something that could be mine. And, you know, me and Kyle, we did it together, but this was my dream. Like I wanted to open this. I wanted to do this. And I had these goals set in mind that this is what I was going to do. And we did it. <laughs> That's really cool. That, that's awesome. I, I remember visiting you at the first gym and oh, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was like, holy crap. Like, this is like really nice. And then you had like that massage chair that like had like was it water. Massage. Yes. Yeah. I was like, dang, this place is nice. <laughs> I kind of want to lead into, um, so your baby Axel, 
How mm-hmm. how old is he now? He turned one in February. So oh, gosh. I don't ever do the months. I don't, I know there's a lot of moms out there. They're like 12, 13, 85, 42. Like when like, does it stop? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm just like, he's one. That's all. That's all he is. He's one. I yeah. can barely keep track of my mental sanity. He's one. <laughs> For real. Like, I feel like when I get to 12 months, that's when I'm going to be like, okay, a year old. Like after yeah. that, I don't understand. It's like, cause how many months am I? I'm 32 years. Like how many months is that? Like, that would be so weird <laughs> if we just kept counting in months. We, we have to do math here. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm already getting sweaty. <laughs> it's not, math is not my thing. Okay. So he turned a year old and like, how has this last year with him been? Uh, amazing, but also like their struggles with them. Um, so like for Axel, it's like having him here. It's just a miracle within itself. And it's just, you know, in my bad times or when I'm upset, like it's like hard for me to even be upset with him or upset with anything else because it took so much to get him here. I don't have the same story as you, um, but I definitely struggle with them. So I'm not sure if you've seen um, me talk about my postpartum journey. Um, I have like a rage side of it, which I feel like sounds so weird, but I don't have the sadness. I have like the very angry side of it. Um, So I had to um, get on medication and I still feel like it's um, definitely not under control. Like it is, but I feel like I could maybe take a little bit more medication. Um, and I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it's definitely, um, I, I get like angry a lot. Um, but it's just like, I look at him and I'm like, it's not like, I'm not angry at him. Like I'm just, it's such a like emotions. And it's like a weird transition. And I tell my husband, I'm like, you're so lucky you're not a female. Like we go through so many different I, things. And then when no. he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I have no Everything. idea. <laughs> yeah, Everything's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, don't ask me questions. I don't know the answer to Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what's your favorite part about being a mom? Oh, favorite part about being a mom, having someone who a hundred percent relies on you can be a pro or a con, but for me, it's a big thing for me because I struggle a lot with wanting and feeling needed as an individual. Mm -hmm. So knowing that someone needs me and like wants me and loves me is like really awesome to me. And it's like the best part of being a mom. Yeah. It's hard but it's great. It's like, I always have a little friend. <laughs> he, he may not be great to talk to hundred percent of the time about my problems, but he'll always listen to me. <laughs> he will. He will definitely always listen to you. I like, I feel like I talk to Miles all the time. Like he knows what I'm saying. And I talk to him like he is like an adult. And sure. it, it's funny, like, cause I'm like, I'm sitting here reasoning with like, he's nine months old. I'm like, I'm sitting here reasoning with a nine month old and telling him about stuff that he has no idea what I'm talking about, but he's just sitting there like staring at me. <laughs> airplane flew over earlier. I was like, oh, look, it's an airplane. Do you know what airplanes do? And like, I'm just talking to him, going on about this airplane. And he's already like working on a lawnmower blub- bubble thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so funny because I, I feel like for a while I, I talked to miles and like different voices. Right. And oh yeah, you have a mom voice. Everybody has a mom voice that, yeah, that. And then also 
for like, I think, I don't remember when it was, but it was like early on, I would talk to him in a cookie monster voice for some reason. But then I kept talking in the cookie monster voice, even though I wasn't talking to Miles. And I was like talking to myself out loud. I was like, I'm crazy because I'm talking to myself out loud. And I'm also talking in a cookie monster voice. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, this is next level shit, man. So, okay. So I want to kind of transition into, um, so you you have Axel now, but it wasn't always like this happy thing. You you had um, you were pregnant with River first, and when was that? What year was that? That was in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Okay, so it was like a year almost after like we had met. Um, and how far along did you get with that pregnancy? Twenty two weeks. Twenty two so, weeks. Yeah, so twenty two weeks, and um, so. I kind of will go on to like actually telling you like how we led into that. But, mm-hmm. um, so for a long time, whether or not I, you know, spoke about it or not, me and my husband, we wanted kids and, you know, everybody would always ask you like, Hey, when are you having kids? Um, we're ready for grandbabies or you got married last year. It's time to start popping them out. But it was always in the plans that we wanted kids. We just didn't want them right then and there. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, we did start trying like a year and a half after we got married and for three years, nothing happened. So we were just like, okay, um, is something wrong with me? Is something wrong with you? Are we just not meant to be biological parents? So we, I started the fertility testing and trying to see if there was some issues because I also have PCOS. So they say that messes with a lot of your fertility issues um, because, you know, your body has trouble producing an egg sometimes, so forth. I won't go into the scientific stuff with that. But (laughs) um, so I was on um, metformin for a little while. They upped my dosage to see if that would help. Nothing was really helping. Um, Started to get where it was just like, um, okay, so what do we do next? And Kyle said, okay, well, I'll go get tested. And so this was probably like year four of our marriage and he went, he had an appointment scheduled. He was going to get the actual fertility testing done where they basically, you know, tell you like, Hey, is there something wrong with your sperm? Is there something wrong with, um, you know, something within your body? How did they actually do the fertility testing? Uh, you know, he just goes in a cup and, you know, and then how do they do it for you? Uh, for me, it was, um, they would go in and they would, um, it would be like this dye that you put in and they would see like how your fallopian tubes look. Okay. And if there's like a lot of buildup and stuff, they kind of like wash it out or kind of mm. like pressurize it out, I guess. Is it painful? I've never heard of anyone having it close to me, so I couldn't actually tell you if it was or not, but I never had it. Like I never fully went through with it. Oh, okay. I had my fertility stuff done where they checked all your levels, made sure your thyroid was working well, like all these things. And then I was supposed to have that done. I like went home and I was talking to my best friend, Alina at the time. And she said, I was like, I feel so sick. Like, I don't know why I feel sick. I just feel like throwing up and I don't know why this just made me throw up. It's just weird. And like, they tell you like, oh, you know, when you know, and I was just like, I'm not pregnant. I know I'm not pregnant. And she was like, you should take a test. And I was like, I'm not taking a test. And then I told my husband how I was feeling. 
And he was like, you should take a test. I was like, I'm not taking a test. I'm not pregnant. And I've already taken a hundred thousand of these tests and they all say not pregnant. So I'm not going to get my hopes up again. It'll happen if it happens, but nothing's happened for a period or anything. So I'm not, not concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and then they had talked to me so much that I was like, I'm going to the store and I'm getting a test. So I went to the store and I got one of those digital ones because Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's no like misconceiving like what that is. Yeah. So um, I came back and I took it and he had already went to work and my best friend was gone and I took the test and I was by myself and I was like, (gasps) oh, was pregnant. So, I just had like goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God. So then, of course, I was telling my husband, like, hey, when are you going to come home? You know, I'm, I'm ready for you to come home. Um, he was like, why? why? I, I have to work out. Like, I have to keep my shape. I have to keep my physical fitness. And I'm, he's giving me this whole round. And I'm just trying to get the dude home. Like, I'm just. just I don't want to tell you over the phone. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. So finally, he comes home and I'm angry. But I'm happy, but angry at the same time. So he comes home and I actually told him with the cards against humanity cards. So I laid them out on the table and like, it was just like foreplay and like all that. And it led up to the miracle of childbirth. And he like started me like crying, like, are you pregnant? Oh my God, that's so cute. So we started like, we were crying in the kitchen and like, just so excited. And, you know, that like we had not a care in the world of like what was going on. Went to my first doctor's appointment and was kind of put off by my first doctor's appointment because I thought it was supposed to be like happy and which come to find out later on down the road, that is how your first doctor's appointment is supposed to go. So do not let anybody make you feel like that. But my first doctor's appointment was talking about miscarriage and the things that could happen and that there was only a percentage that my child would live this long. There's nothing wrong with my child currently. It was just, you know, I was an early pregnancy and there was no heartbeat yet. So we were just, you know, he was, I guess in a sense, as a doctor, he was trying to tell me that, hey, like, there always is a possibility that you Mm -hmm. come in for the next appointment and there's no heartbeat because you had so much trouble getting pregnant. But on my first doctor's appointment, that is not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) Right. Especially first time mom, too. So I went through a little bit of emotions there and had my doctor switched. And then when I had my doctor switched, it was like smooth sailing from there. But um, no problems within the pregnancy besides awful sickness the entire time. Like you had to choose your food. What is going to taste good coming up later? Because you can almost guarantee everything is going to come up. So I had HG. So basically it just means that you like stay sick. I threw up every day till the day I delivered. And, and that's like really rare, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was hospitalized twice. It was, it was bad. (laughs) So what is that? Like, what is HG? I've never heard of it. So I don't know the, the, everybody pronounces a little different, but I've heard it pronounced the most hypermesis gravidarum. Okay. Basically just like morning sickness amplified times a (laughs) hundred. Your body's like, what is inside of me? Like (laughs) it's not just morning sickness, it's afternoon sickness. Yeah, all day. Yeah. You wake up at one o'clock in the morning and you have to go throw up everything you ate that day. Like that's that it was awful. (laughs) So did that happen with the second pregnancy too? Oh yeah. With um 
river though, like we, I got to, it was about 21 weeks and I took like my last bump photo pretty much. And, you know, like everybody always did the bump photos where they did like, oh, my baby's as big as a peach or as big as a banana and like all this stuff. So I would always do those every week. Yeah. And I felt like I was bigger than what I should have been. Probably was, probably had 30 extra pounds more than the baby, but it's okay. That's crazy because <laughs> you were like throwing up like all the time. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. It, it was wild. Um, but so I woke up and I went into the bathroom and it, I was probably, I want to say I was about 22 weeks and some change, like a couple of days. I woke up and it was mm, 11 o'clock. No, it was early in the morning. So I went to use a restroom and there was just like a little bit of blood. And I was like, uh, that's not good. Um, Kyle, you should come in here for a second. And he was like, uh, what do we do? And I was like, um, well, blood is never a good sign, but blood is also never a good sign when it's like way further along in your pregnancy, because that could just mean that something internally is going on that you don't know about. No pain, no cramping, nothing like that whatsoever. So I was like, I'm scared. And I was like, let's go to the emergency room. So we drive to the emergency room. We get there. And when we get there, they're like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to admit you because currently you're three centimeters dilated. And um, we got to stop this. Like, there's no way. Because we went through the rundown of have to make it to 24 weeks because after 24 weeks if I could make it to 24 weeks they would fly me and the baby to UNC and you know the baby would be there because the NICU there can hold the baby at 24 weeks so I was like okay so what they did was they admitted me of course my nerves are shot like I'm just like what is going on like this is not supposed to happen why is this happening yeah so they're telling me it's a possibility I could deliver my baby. It's a possibility that, you know, I stay the whole time. But everybody's trying to be really positive, which was great. Like, all the nurses were extremely great. So, anyway, so we get in the room, and they admit me, and they say, hey, we're going to put you in a position pretty much where you're upside down and a diagonal, and your head's at, at the almost touching the ground and your feet over in the air and we're going to leave you like that and hopefully you make no progression you're not going to be able to get up and pee you're not going to be able to get up and do anything and I was like okay well how long do I have to stay like this and they're like well we're hoping that you can stay like this until we can do an emergency cerclage cerclage if no one knows what that is is a stitch that holds your cervix together so it like pulls your cervix together and holds it. They got me ready, took out all my piercings, um, went back for emergency surgery and came out. And when I woke up, everybody was crying around me. And so I was like, what is going on? Just in that little time frame that I had from like three centimeters getting back there, I was already at a five. So I dilated two centimeters within like a 45 minute time span. So I woke up and Kyle was at my side and the doctor was telling me, Hey, we tried everything we could, but I'm sorry. Like we couldn't do the stitch. And I was like, so what does that mean? I'm confused. Um, they told me that I could wait it out 
and just see how everything goes or I could deliver. So I said, no, we're waiting it out. Like I'm going to wait as long as I can because the longer I wait, the longer he's safe, the longer I'm closer to getting him to UNC. So it's like, okay, we're going to wait. And Kyle was like, yeah, I agree. Like we're waiting. We're going to give, you know, him a fighting chance. It's like, okay. So he, the doctor that I had at the time, 100% recommend because he was almost in tears when he told me that he could not do it. Like you don't find doctors like that anymore that care that deeply for you. Yeah. And so that was pretty inspirational for me. And they left. I had a group of nurses. I was like, so how long am I going to have to stay like this? Because, you know, it, at this point, you know, it, it was summertime. So it, and they were like, well, you know, one year we celebrated Christmas here with a, a girl and her whole family. She stayed here for four months in the hospital. I was just thinking in the back of my head, four months. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know if I can stay in bed for four months. Are you, and would you be upside down that whole time? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God. This is like, I don't know, like, this is just crazy. Yeah. But, you know, you do what you can for your kids. So yeah. you'll go above and beyond. It's like people to also talk about labor. They don't think about all the pain they were in because you forget about it. Like, you, it's just like that moment that gets you there, you know? Yeah. So anyways, they were giving me all this medication to slow down my labor. You know, they had me in that position. Nurses coming in, checking I remember I woke up and I was like, you know, everybody was around me again. And it was like, we have to check you, see how you're doing, blah, blah, blah. They checked me and they you know, I had monitors hooked up to me everywhere. And uh, she was like, okay, well, we have come to an issue. And I was like, um, okay. And they said, um, we can hold the baby in and we can do what you're asking but you're going to possibly um, go sepsis on us. And we, this could possibly be both of your lives um, or you could deliver your baby. So that was like a super hard decision. My husband was like, like, I'm not losing both of you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like this is an, like, it's not an easy decision to make, but at the same time, it's like one of the hardest decisions because you're pretty much choosing at that point, like the, even the opportunity, like if I don't live, will my baby live? What was causing you to go septic? Everything that labor was doing was what was causing all the issues. Okay. So my body was pretty much telling me you should have already had your baby. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and we're trying to get rid of everything. Yeah. So it's the same thing that happens. I know it sounds really awful, but it's the same thing that happens with miscarriage. Your body kind of like pushes through everything that's bad and pushes it out of your body. So we chose to deliver him. And um, when we delivered him, he was born a little over a pound and he lived for a little over two hours. And me and my husband, we held him until his heart stopped beating. And um, it was like extremely hard for us because one, that was our baby. Two, there's all these questions that were going through our heads. Like, why did this happen to us? Like, out of everybody that this could happen to, like, we're able to give him a good home. We have a loving home. There's kids out there that don't have good homes. Mm -hmm. Why is this happening to us right now? 
so and the entire time like I couldn't stop crying in the hospital and my nurse I have on my wrist I have this um quote because um I struggle internally with thinking positive I think Mm -hmm. negative all the time and I have to like come back like here think positive think positive well since that was my first that was one of my first tattoos is I got this tattoo that says think positive on my wrist and the t is a cross Mm. so um I got that and my nurse kept telling me to look down at my wrist and she kept telling me like hey you know you're holding your baby be you know just take in these moments you know because you're not going to get these back and I had some amazing nurses. Um, Sounds like it. <laughs> partly the reason why, you know, I was so strong afterwards. But, like, my nurses laid with me in the bed and held me when I cried. Oh, my gosh. They brushed my hair when I couldn't brush my hair anymore. My hair, like, like you can see it because we're talking. But, you know, as a podcast, my hair is, like, so long. Yeah. But it was matted up to my ears because I had laid there for so long in a bed without brushing my hair so they brushed my hair um they showered me and it was just like they never once told me that he wasn't a living being they never once you know pushed me out you hear all these stories about these women that like they were rushed out of their hospital room they told me you stay here until you can't stay here anymore where like, were you? What hospital um, was it? More regional. Oh, they wow. Were, they were phenomenal. And like uh, later on, I went back and I wrote a, a letter to my nurses and the doctors there and gave them like a little, because the week after his um, birth was the nurses week. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But um, so we have like pictures. We had... Um, I struggled a lot too, which I don't know. Some people just like frown upon it, but I, I mean, I look back on it now and I'm glad I did it. But the the hospital came to me when all this was going on and they said, I know this is a really rough topic to talk to you about right now, but we have a lady that comes and she takes pictures in circumstances like this, that, that way you can keep those memories forever. And for a long time, I was like, you know, I'm not doing this. Like, no, I'm, why would I take a picture of my baby like this? If it was kind of morbid at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm not doing that. And you think like, I've seen other people do it. And I remember thinking in the back of my head, why would they do that? Like, I don't understand. And it's not until you're in that circumstance that you realize like, that's your baby. Like you, you want to remember that. Yeah. This child has been a part of you for, you know, 22 weeks. It's just super hard. And, you know, yeah, it was like really stressful on me because we got home and like for a guy and a girl, it's two totally different circumstances. And like what happens? Like, yes, you have to remember I carried River. He was a part of me. Like our hearts beat together. Like we knew, you know, each other. So it was a little different than my husband, but also my husband was a dad too, and he lost somebody. Mm-hmm. So it was like a fine line 
I wanted to be sad, but he wanted to be sad too. And not both of us could be sad almost at the same time because one of us had to support each other. Right. My husband took that role and there would be nights that I would wake up like crying, just like screaming, crying and so upset through the night. And it's like, he never slept. It was just like, he woke up and he was just alert. He was there and he would hold me. He would rub my hair and I would go right back to sleep. And it was just like, he never slept. Oh wasn't gosh. until later on down the road that I realized that like, okay, he needs time to grieve too. Cause he right. doesn't have that. So, but, um, I've had a lot of people like talk to me and stuff about everything that happened with river because like, yeah, I got emotional and talking about it tonight because it was like a lot, e- like a lot more detailed, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that's hurtful though is when people do talk about it and they bring it up, they don't bring it up as like your baby. It's just like, they're too scared to talk about this situation, you know? So what did they say? Um, so I'll get things like, Oh, is this your first baby? You know, cause you know, we have Axel and mm-hmm. I'm like, well, he's not our first, he's our first living. And they're like, Oh, okay change the subject you know like it's like Uh, no details whatsoever and I don't mind talking about it and I feel like a lot of women are out there that if given the chance they would probably talk about it but we're never given that chance because people are too scared to actually like ask us those questions (laughs) right I feel like I would be one of those people too especially if I didn't know the person that well or even if I I did I guess Maybe it's like, like, how would somebody go about having that conversation with somebody? Like, if you're afraid to ask, like, would, should they say like, um, can I ask you questions about it? Um, or like if they are interested or do you want to have that conversation? Like how, how do they know if it's okay? So I would just, um, I've had a lot of women actually, um, I've been very vocal about my story because I realized that like, Hey, there's women out there that, that have probably gone through similar circumstances as me that I haven't met yet. And I felt really alone. Like, you know, you may not have been through that Christy, but like, it just feels amazing when you have someone there to support you, you know? So it, even if like, you may not have personally been through it, you can't say like, I know how you're feeling. You can't say things like that, but you can say things like, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I would love to listen to your story. You know, what, what can I do for you? Like in certain circumstances like that, it's just all about the wording, I guess, because right. yeah, it does get like a little, what do I say? <laughs> but at the and then same people time, usually just choose the, uh, so the weather today. Like, yeah. Like, Ooh, well, you know, Oh my dog, he needs a haircut. Like it just completely changes the subject. But and then that makes you feel like bad and like, yeah, kind of, like, Oh, so you don't thinking, care. Right. Then yeah. I go home thinking like, okay, like they don't want me to share my story. How am I going to talk about him? How, like, how am I going to like remember him? Because remembering is also the same as learning a foreign language. If anybody's learned a foreign language, And I know that sounds like really crazy, but it's true. Like the more you talk about him, the more his memory is there for me. Mm -hmm. And same with the foreign language. If I don't use it, I lose it. So if I'm using it regularly, I'm not talking it and Mm -hmm. I'm not visualizing it. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm losing all of it. So it's just keeping his memory alive for me. But they're like, Facebook was like my platform. So when people would read that, they, I started to see that, you know, that's the only way that I could vocalize everything that I was feeling. Every day I would get an like a message on Facebook messenger. Hey, Like, I know you don't know me, or I know we didn't talk much in school or, you know, things like this, but I just want to let you know, I'm going through something similar, or I went through something similar and this is what happened to me. And it's just something that we kind of like bond over. I ended up having his incompetent cervix. So my cervix opens up with no indication that I'm in labor and will continue to open up. So it makes labor extremely easy for the person that needs it to happen right then and there. Yeah. But not so good when you're trying to carry a baby the entire pregnancy. <laughs> so how did you guys go about um making sure that didn't happen the second time around or did you not have Ooh. to do anything? Oh yes, we had a lot to do. To the certain extent that it was very stressful. Um so you're supposed to be in the less stress <laughs> yeah. your pregnancy. Right. Because you don't want to put that stress onto your baby, but Mm -hmm. I felt like I had more stress. So because I had incompetent cervix, um, that's what they diagnosed me with. Um, They had to make sure that my cervix was not going to open up for the second time. The good thing about it is when we found out we were pregnant with Axel, we had formed such a connection with all the doctors and the nurses that they were like, come in right away. We're going to check out everything. I know we're not going to hear a heartbeat right away. So please don't get your hopes up. You know, they were very upfront with me and very honest, very thorough in everything that they did for me, which they were 100% before, but meaning that they knew the background Mm -hmm. and they knew that we needed to take extra measures to get to where we wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So with Axel, (laughs) Kyle deployed. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Yeah. Two hurricane came through. Oh, geez. <laughs> you know, the hurricane that flooded like everything. We lost yep. power for four weeks. Yeah. That yep. happened during the pregnancy. Matthew? <laughs> Was that Hurricane Matthew? Something. No, the one after that. Oh, Florence. geez. Yeah. The the girl name. Yeah. I think Florence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I should remember it because, I mean, we didn't leave our house for, you know, forever. And you, you had to make sure that you had water. And of course, all of North Carolina make sure they have milk for some reason. So milk bread, so milk and out. bread. Like what? <laughs> yeah, I'm confused. And eggs. I don't, that stuff's going to go bad if you don't have electricity. Yeah. I don't know if you know that, but. <laughs> Are you eating a dozen eggs a day? Please don't. <laughs> but, or raw, a rotten milk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like where are you going to put it if you don't have, if you don't have power? I'm confused. <laughs> it's, yeah. That's funny. North yeah. Carolina. <laughs> We had, okay, so I had a deployment, a high-risk pregnancy, because um, I was classified as high-risk, obviously, after everything that happened. Um, we had the hurricane come through, and then I had, at nine weeks, which was the week before Kyle deployed, um, I had my stitch put in. So the week before he deployed, I had stitches put in, and we chose to do a double stitch, so that was actually my doctor's decision. He gave me all the different types and I'm going to just say his name because he was phenomenal. His name was Dr. Lowry and he's over at um, Southern Pines Women's Health Center. And he was like 
hands down, like so hands-on with me as far as like making sure. I want to say I was more like the baby of the whole um, like health center, I guess, because everybody knew what had happened, I guess. And so coming in, they were like, hey, how are you feeling today? How's Axel? Uh, That's so special. Before that, it was just like, how's the baby? And I formed a lot of like really close connections with everyone there. Um, But he chose to do a double stitch because he was like, we're going to make sure this baby stays in. And I was like, okay. They put me on progesterone shots too. And those went for, I think, 16 weeks that I had to do shots in your butt. And what is that supposed to do? Um, so that just kind of like helps thicken the lining. So mm. like it doesn't okay. thin out fast. Mm-hmm. And they gave me the progesterone shots. And um, it just got to be like a ritual. Like I would go in there and they were like, which side did you have it on? Clear pants down. I look at your chart, but it's left. And I'm like, left, right, left, right. <laughs> yeah. And it just got like, you just walk in. Pull your pants down. How you doing today, Barb? (laughs) How are the kids? Yeah. (laughs) How was that hurricane? Man, that was rough. (laughs) And so, um, so we have like, you know, all of that that happened. And then I also had to go um, see uh, the high risk. So I had to like, you know, make sure that everything was going good with the baby, which kind of was nice because I was able to get genetic testing done, which oh, you cool. know, normally you don't get that done. Yeah. Because, you know, in a normal pregnancy, you don't, they don't really do that as much, which is kind of weird to me. Like looking back on it, I feel like that should be given to everybody. I think so too. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it should just be, you know, if you're high risk or if you're over 30 or, you know, yeah, there's all these scenarios. I feel like it's just kind of interesting to see where you lay and all there, of that. There could be some underlying something and you just don't know. Maybe right. it didn't happen with know. your first kid. Incompetent cervix. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot of things too, um, which I've been doing a lot of research on, um, I am not a medical professional and I'm not a doctor, so I cannot say that this is why, but I do see that a lot of women that have PCOS also have incompetent cervix, and I had mentioned that to my doctor, and I thought that that was really weird, but it comes to find out that a lot of women that have had PCOS or um, some kind of abnormal growth in their cervix are more likely to have incompetent cervix. Hmm. Um, if you look at like the percentages and stuff, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Yeah. So it makes me like wonder, like, why don't they test for those? Ca- they just don't have that kind of testing out there. Hmm. So unfortunately I was like, why didn't we catch this before? Like how, cause I had just had my 20 week, you know, your ultrasound that you have where they like show you all the different parts. You've yeah. got like a hundred bazillion pictures. Yeah. <laughs> But I just had that ultrasound and I was just thinking like, why didn't they see that then? I'm confused. Like, why is it just now happening? So can you see that on a scan? You can see the cervix. Yeah. And you can see if if it is incompetent or not. Oh, okay. You can't see if it's incompetent or not. You can just, so some women are lucky. It's like, you know, I mentioned earlier that there was a Facebook group that I became a part of Mm -hmm. and it's like girls that have or women that are going through incompetent cervix as well, or they've had it in the past. 
some women, and I say that they're lucky because, you know, they're able to bring their child home, but um, there are some women out there that are extremely lucky, lucky that they go to that 20-week appointment, and then they immediately get admitted to the hospital because they're like, you're one centimeter dilated, not good. Mm, okay. So, and you can see that. But for me, I was not dilated yet. So they couldn't tell that I, anything was going on. It looked like a normal every day for them. So some women, you can see that and they may get lucky that they go in for an ultrasound and you know, that happens to show up and they immediately can put them in. And then some women just happens like what happened with me, but with Axel, (laughs) it was very fast. (laughs) So flew out. (laughs) I felt like butter, really. (laughs) So, like, I went through all of this, and I was, I was, like, on edge, man. Like, I was just thinking all the time, like, what if this happens? And So was Kyle deployed the whole time? Like, up until the birth? Up until the stitch removal, yes. Oh, Jesus. The entire pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, can we get a waiver for this? Like, my wife is high risk. Like, (laughs) I need to stay home. Like with Axel, it was extremely hard for me because it was just, oh my gosh, there was between the shots, the ultrasound appointments, running the gyms, because let's not forget that I had those going on too. Um, the week that we lost River was, so we opened April 27th and we lost River May 3rd. Wow. So we opened the doors to our second location, grand opening. And then we lost River. So two weeks after I delivered him, I was doing payroll and computing stuff on my computer. No like, way. <laughs> you just, you just, I just didn't get a slowdown point. Wow. Yeah. So like a lot of women, we talk about like, what about the next pregnancy? What is like the next pregnancy? And um, for me, Axel was extremely hard. And I think I will always be a helicopter mom because of the things that have happened to me in the past. But so like Axel, for instance, the entire time I was pregnant, I had milestones that I was trying to reach. So I feel like to a certain extent, I didn't get the bonding time that I did with River because I wasn't necessarily bonding over this child that I was growing inside of me. I was bonding on if I could make it because to a certain extent, you put this wall up that kind of like forces your emotions out. Mm -hmm. So this wall goes up and you're like, I'm not going to bond with this until, you know, like, oh, I know for sure that this this is going to be a part of my life. Right. (laughs) So, and it sounds awful, but that's how I felt. So Mm -hmm. you're just just, trying to like protect yourself. basically. I was broken after river. So it was just, that's the worst I've ever felt with anything my entire life. And, um, my Nana and me, we kind of bonded a little bit because my Nana lost my, uh, uncle at 18, um, to lymphoma Mm. and, she was like, the toughest thing you'll ever do is lose a child, which is totally different circumstances, totally different scenarios. But like, as far as like losing a child, like, yes, I grew that inside yeah. of me and I bonded with him every single day and watched his kicks and everything. And then with Axel, it wasn't until I reached viability stone, like that's our milestone that we reached. And that was 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. So when we reached 24 weeks, 
I was like, okay, I feel a little bit more comfortable, but not a hundred percent. Like I just feel good that he'll be able to go to a NICU and get a chance to survive. Right. And like just having the chance was there. And then my next viability milestone was 26 weeks because 26 weeks means that I could deliver him at more regional and he could stay there and he would be at their NICU. And then 28 weeks because that was my next one was because um, at 28 weeks, they're like 60% less likely to have like reading or like mental stuff that's going on, you know, developmental issues that happen when they're born premature, that kind of thing. And then I was like, okay, I mean, at 28, like, wow, what am I doing with my life? Oh my gosh, we did this. (laughs) And that's when, when I hit 28 weeks, that's when I started to like, okay, this baby is going to happen. I'm letting down my guard. Mm -hmm. We're going to bond, you know, and um, at 38 weeks, I had my stitch taken out. Kyle came home at 37 weeks. I had my stitch taken out the the, uh, 38 weeks, like on the dot. Like I was like, take this baby out. (laughs) Um, Because it's a, it's a different scenario. You know, how like most women, they're um, like when they're pregnant, some women actually enjoy it. Like they're like, Oh yes, I love pregnancy. I love, I love feeling as big as a whale. Like, <laughs> no, and some women don't have any issues. Like I, I tell my best friend all the time, she is a baby maker because she has no morning sickness. She doesn't even like, it's not even like she has a baby. She just has a little bump. She delivers that baby in two pushes. She's like walking around and she's running in two weeks and she's oh, back. Oh my life. God. Like, I just tell her she was born to make babies. Really? Some people, that's how it is. Not for me though. It was not like that for me. And it's not like that for a lot of people either. So, so they take the stitch out and then like, so did you have to have a C-section? So that's the funny part is I had the stitch taken out. Either you can go into labor, like, you know, you could start dilating immediately or it could kind of like slowly progress like a normal pregnancy and we could have to induce you because your body starts to get used to the fact that it's held together that entire time so your body is like now used to that so I was like oh great <laughs> like don't you feel perfect. like I thought I was gonna get this do you feel like pregnancy and like and delivery like first of all pregnancy I feel like is just like kind of like a miracle. So many things have to go right for you to actually get pregnant. And I, I like, I know a lot of women that just like get pregnant so, so fast. I'm like, like, how did you do that? Like when I started learning about the body, I was like, how did you get pregnant so easily or multiple times? And then, um, I feel like it's kind of a crapshoot labor, like labor and delivery is kind of a crapshoot. Like they don't know a lot of things and they're like, this could happen or this could happen. I'm like, are we not in the 21st century? Like why Like, no stuff? You can't give me a definitive answer over here. Yeah. I need to know these things. Like are we in medieval (laughs) times? Like I thought like we got this like pat down, but no. (laughs) So the stitch though, like it hurts after a certain point because if it is pulling, pulling, you can feel it pulling down there so you know most women are like complaining that I have back aches I didn't have back aches it didn't have any issues it was just always feeling cervical pressure all the time so I was just like ready to be done yeah well 
I went in and I, I like, I was like, okay, well, I'll just start walking because now I can walk, I can exercise, I can do whatever I want to now because like, this could be, I hope there's no little ears, but you can't have sex the entire time you have to stitch in like at all. Well, good. Cause and, he was deployed. Right. So it didn't really matter. <laughs> well, that, and like, regardless, like there's no orgasm, there's no nothing. Uh, like wow okay so think about when you're getting pregnant your husband's about to deploy and you get a stitch put in okay get that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) chastity belt put on wow (laughs) and then when you have the baby six weeks your husband just comes home and you can't do anything (laughs) yeah so that was my life but when I got a stitch taken out I was like I said, so, Dr. Lowry, <laughs> what can I do and what can I not do? <laughs> he was like, you're pretty free game right now, whatever you want to do. And I was like, oh, whatever I want to do. And he was like, yeah, whatever you want to do. I was like, okay, thank you. Come again. <laughs> so anyways, I was like, one of the first things I really wanted to do was walk and feel like myself again. Exercise, like I miss that so much because you yeah. can't pick up. You can't pick up more than ten pounds the entire time you have to stitch in. Oh my gosh! Because so, you could rip it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was. So I walked, and then I was texting one of my neighbors that has like five kids, and I was telling her like, "Hey, I'm feeling these little these little bumps or whatever." I mean, it kind of feels like kicks, but I'm not sure what they are. She was like, are you sure that you're going to have contractions? I was like, well, I wouldn't know what contractions feel like because the first baby, it was just like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. So I was confused. <laughs> so she was like, okay, we'll start timing them. And I was like, I mean, they're kind of like all over the place. I don't, she was like, just time them. And I was like, are you sure it's not kicks? And she was like, I mean, it could be, but you know, it's just time. It was like timing them. Like they're about a minute apart. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. So I tell my husband, and this is a man thing, okay? I tell my husband, because he's in the gym with me, I tell him, I was like, hey, babe, I think I'm having contractions. Like, I'm probably about to go into labor. We should probably go home, get our stuff, and go straight to the hospital. Because I don't know how it's supposed to feel. Yeah, can I get this last set in, please? (laughs) Did you not? I almost killed him. When I told Jeff that my water broke, he was like, um, I'm going to go get gas for the car. And then he just like left. I was like, uh, hopefully he comes back. What? Yeah, like, like what? I'm confused. Bye. What? <laughs> Let me get this. Yeah. So. Oh my God. That's hilarious. On a whole nother level with him. So we get home. He's like, do I have time? He's like, do I have time to take a shower? What? <laughs> There's a shower at the hospital. Yeah, but it's not the same. All my stuff's here. Like, all your stuff is packed. (laughs) We get to the hospital and five centimeters dilated. You're like, Kyle, you are so lucky right now. I said, (laughs) I'm going to have this baby on the side of the road. Yeah. I checked into the hospital and I said, "Um, yeah, I think I'm having contractions. I'm not 100% sure. But given my history, I wanted to make sure I came in, blah, blah, blah. I go in. And they're like, they hook everything up. And the doctor comes in. He's like, well, you're not going anywhere tonight because you're five centimeters dilated and we're going to have a baby. And I was like, 
Sounds like, do I have time to go get a steak dinner? (laughs) Those are not good, by the way, at the hospital. (laughs) So the whole procedure with him, though, I went in and in four hours he was here. Wow. (laughs) So did you like, you pushed and did like the whole like delivery thing like that? I had an epidural and then I had a rebowl, which is basically where they come in, they try, they give you more. But when I had the first epidural, I went completely like white, like, and started throwing up and then passed out. And it was like a really bad reaction. When they came into the rebowl, I was like, um, I need a lot of that because I could feel everything. They did it. And like, it's weird. The nurse came in. I was like, um, I can feel my legs. Should I feel my legs? She was like, well, to a certain extent, yes, because you still need to be be able to get your legs in the stirrups and like blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, okay, cool. And then I'm telling Kyle over there, I was like, "Um, I'm starting to really feel things. And I'm telling them, like, I'm feeling these things and no one's paying me any attention. He said, they probably don't want to give you anything and they want to be nice about it because of the reaction that you had with the first one and they don't want it to be an issue. And I was like, okay, okay, well, I, I, I'm feeling it like it's going to be an issue for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm I, like, when they were asking me all the questions, like as far as like pain medications, you know, when you check in the hospital, a lot of times you already have your birth plan in the computer, but they still ask you the questions. So she's yeah. like, are you going to want an epidural? Are you going to want you know, pain medications. I was like, check, check, check. I'm not a savior. I'm not out to prove anything to anyone. I want all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) You give me all the medications. They've been used for years and I feel like they're safe. So we're going to use them. So I, the nurse came in and I was like, okay, now I can really feel my legs. And I threw my legs up in the air. Let me prove it to you how much I can feel my legs. Um, put your legs down. You're going to be fine. And I'm like, I should not be able to move like this. <laughs> I mean, I didn't feel like I could get up and dance at this point. <laughs> oh my God. And then, so I was, I said, I need another epidural. They came in, they called the um, uh, anesthesiologist and they were like, oh, he's in another surgery. I was like, you're giving me a hunk of bull right now. Like there's no way that this dude's in another surgery. Come on now. Doctor comes in. All right, let's get ready to deliver. What? I didn't get my epidural. <laughs> Start freaking out. Like, oh my God. So needless to say, Axel was delivered without an epidural. Was it Interesting. like super painful? Okay, I felt like it was super painful. So there's this little cartoon and I'll have to like go back and like see what it's called because my husband makes fun of me all the time now because in three pushes he was out so like it was like super smooth but Kyle said that I turned um there's this cartoon where there's like this little little fat red guy that like bowls up and he gets like super super bright red he said you held your breath every time and you'll like that big cartoon I mean it was a super easy delivery Um, We did the cord blood banking and all Mm -hmm. that. So we did all of that stuff. But as far as like the delivery, he had to go straight to the NICU. And so that was extremely hard for me because he swallowed amniotic fluid on the way out. 
So that's a media stay in the NICU. He would have been fine. Like he was developed hundred percent when he was delivered, but because he swallowed the amniotic fluid, he had to go to the NICU. Okay. Well then, because I had so much history in the past, I was like, where's my baby going? No. Like yeah. I got five seconds of him on my chest and they took him to the NICU. Oh like, God, that's, that's hard. Yeah. And then Kyle had to leave me because I, they said, do you want him to go with your baby? And I was like, yes. Yeah. Somebody go with him that I know. Yeah. And so Kyle FaceTimed me the entire oh. time he was with him in the NICU, which I felt like, okay, that's good for him. But at the same time, I felt, why can't I be there? Like, right. I yeah. just delivered this kid. I grew and him I and I delivered him. Yeah. But the nurse was like super nice. She's like, I know you want to get in there and see your baby, but you have to show me that you can get up and pee. I said, I can get up and pee. (laughs) And so she was like, okay, get out. And so I got up and I put my legs on the side of the bed. She was like, all right, take it slowly. I stood right up. She said, okay, slow is not your middle name. We we can see that. (laughs) I've been able to throw my legs up in the air for hours now. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And I went into the bathroom and I peed. She was like, oh, are you? you're you're good you peed and I was like okay now when can I see my baby (laughs) she said you can see your baby now (laughs) there's nothing stronger than a mom trying to get to their baby yeah (laughs) oh my god (laughs) so how long did you have to stay in the NICU um he was there for just over a week so not very long at all but did you stay in the hospital the whole time so they were super nice. I uh, was in the hot. So he was in the NICU for a little over a week. Um, you know, you stay afterwards into the mom and me or, or baby and me rooms or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I stayed in those. I think we were there for two days and they gave us like steak dinner. <clears throat> Gross. All I wanted was sushi. So, you know, I was like, somebody bring me some sushi. Yeah. I would have loved someone, but I was attempting this breastfeeding journey that everybody was like gung ho about. Breastfeed. <laughs> oh, so I was God. like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so um actually that's another hot topic is I was not gonna breastfeed before I had Axel. Like a hundred percent was not going to do it. I was only I I got a, a breast pump. And I was going to use it if I had to, but I was like strict formula. That's what I was going to do. Uh-huh. They even asked me several times. They're like, are you sure you don't want to do breastfeed? I'm like, no, fed is best. I don't even want to attempt it. Yeah. Formula it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until he was in the NICU that they told me like, hey, either, you know, you can sign this and he can get breast milk from someone else or you can attempt to do it yourself. And I was like, ew, breast milk for someone else? Like, for real. no, he can have mine. Yeah. I'll give him my goods. <laughs> like, I don't know who that woman is. What did she eat? And, What's in her and milk? that lasted for six months. And whoo, praise a, to the women that do that. That's a while. You can lose your mental sanity breastfeeding. <laughs> Girl, that's why I stopped. <laughs> oh. I stopped at four oh, months. I was losing myself in the process. Amen. <laughs> oh, it was, I mean, it's fulfilling to know that you can give your child that, but I felt on a whole nother level that I was giving my child the milk that he needed, but I was also draining my soul. <laughs> mm. It just 
I, it's kind of hard to explain. It was just, no, I 100% feel you on that. Exactly. Like I hit the four month mark and I was like, I, I don't, it wasn't like a mark, but it was like, he was four months and I was like, I have to stop this. Like I, I was like some, somebody, something has got time for anything else. Yeah. I'm like pumping or breastfeeding, pumping or breastfeeding. And like, and then I couldn't like drink, which I'm like, isn't important, but at the same time, like sometimes I just want to have a drink. And the fact that I couldn't do something when you had nine months of this person inside of you taking all of your nutrients, like everything from you and not to make it sound bad, like you're, you're giving life to this baby, but like this baby is basically like, like leeching off of you. And then outside of you, the baby is leeching off of you again. And it's like, I need my yeah. body back. Like I need and it they back. Are. They're taking your nutrients. I know that, that they told me that too. The doctors told me that they were like, it sounds awful. Cause I, I asked the question. Cause you know, I mentioned earlier that I had HD. I said, so am I like, is he getting the nutrients that he needs? Because I'm throwing everything up. So I'm not processing. They're like, Oh, he's going to get what he needs. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, if you don't have the nutrients, they're going to pull from things. So your hair is going to start breaking. Yep. Your teeth are going to start chipping. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to come out of this like a, like a troll. Oh, my God. <laughs> your eyeball falls out. Like, Yeah. Okay. So like the calcium, all that. They'll get that from you. Trust me. They're a leech. <laughs> yeah. Like the breastfeeding was the hardest part of the like the after. But yeah. also because of my history and then him being in the NICU and we were separated with him in the NICU, like going back to that for two days, we stayed at the hospital and then they had these rooms in the NICU that if there wasn't another parent using, they would let you stay. And then the last night, was your test night. So you got to test out how it would be just for you two without a nurse around. They would still have the baby hooked up to everything. So they would still be able to see if there was something going on and they could come and help you, but they wanted to see how you would react to those situations. That's so cool. My hospital didn't have that. That's cool. Yeah. So it was, it was really neat because, you know, like we were scared. It was our first baby all in all. (laughs) I have had the worst pregnancies, but Axel is a angel baby. Like mm-hmm. he sleeps through the night since he was two months old. Wow. He like he's he was fine with the formula switch. You know, some babies they like spit up and they they're like they can't get adjusted. Yeah. They only want the boob or they only want formula or they only want a bottle. Axel would take whatever you gave to him. Oh god. It would be fine. That's awesome. And, like, the transition was easy. When I did finally transition to all formula, he like took it. No big deal. Um, he's on a schedule. He sleeps twice a day now. Same nice. time every night. Goes down for 8.30 at night. He sleeps and he doesn't wake up till 8.15 in the morning. So. Oh my God. Perfect little baby. Wow. I, you know, I'm <laughs> blessed. Blessed. <laughs> that is so amazing. Does he... So what did you, how old did you say he was again? He's a year. A year. (laughs) a year in February. Right. Okay. So I guess at, at that age, they don't really understand much. Like he doesn't know that he had like a brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, he has, there's a picture. I have two pictures that are in his room 
and I'm pregnant in both of them. And one of the pictures is me pregnant with River, and one of them is me pregnant with Axel at the same time. Oh, okay. Kind of cool. So do you speak about him in like present tense? So, cause I, I noticed guess, I just said had, and then I was like, well, it's has kind of, but like, like, how do you speak about him? I mean, I don't really even get into like the specifics and it doesn't hurt my feelings if people say has or had yeah. like, um, I guess if it had just happened to me, then I would get kind of in my feelings, I guess. Yeah. But knowing that we have that piece of river because we chose to get him cremated because we know with the military, you go all these places and we wanted to be able to carry him with us. Oh yeah. So we got him, we had him in a nice space and like all that. So we could always have him with us. And like, we have the blanket that he was in in the hospital and like all that stuff. So as he gets older, like me and my husband, we've kind of talked about it. Like, well, gonna say because he was such a big part of our lives and I just feel like we're just gonna talk about it because you know like that this happened it just is so you know it's same scenario that if you were to lose like a toddler or something like that right in family yeah and let's just say that you had a baby and a toddler and you lost the toddler or you lost the baby vice versa you just they would just grow up and say like hey you had a brother you know he was great he loved you very much um but now he's watching down on us from heaven and, you know, it's nice that we are religious because we have that, you know, yeah. some, not everybody is. And I a hundred percent understand that. But for us, it's like a sense of comfort knowing mm-hmm. that we have a guardian angel. Yeah. And I feel like that's looking over him. Yeah. So. That, that's awesome. I was going to ask you, like, what do you, um, what do you do with the baby afterwards? Um, like, do you get him cremated? And I guess that just like, what if you don't get the baby? Oh, okay. Um, so that was like a really hard part for me, um, in the hospital because they did take the baby away. So after I held them, um, we got to hold him for a little bit and they were like, do you want him to stay with you a little longer? What? And we we're like, yeah, we want him to stay as long as possible. Like we just want to hold him forever. But we knew we couldn't do that. It felt like my baby was being taken away from me when they finally had to come get him. Like yeah. that was goodbye. That right. it wasn't goodbye. Like when he was in our arms, you know, it was goodbye when they finally took him from us. Cause we knew that that like, okay, this may be the last time that we get with him. Right. So they actually take him at the hospital. The funeral home comes and they get him. And then you have to go meet at the funeral home. And like, um, you see your baby again before the cremation. And they ask you like, Hey, do you want to see the, Nope. They ask, you can see that. You can see them actually like wheel them in if you want. Oh, I I didn't want that. Yeah. So, um, but we got to see him like all like, you know, in his like blanket and they cleaned him up from like the blood and like all that stuff that was on him. You know, after the babies are born, they're all nasty. They had like cleaned him up and it was just like, it was super sweet. It was nice to have that last memory of him. Like a lot of people don't get that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was nice to be able to have that. 
So, and our family got to be there too. Oh, wow. And we treated it as kind of like a memorial service mm-hmm. in a way. But um, a couple of days later, we had to go back and um, we pick up the ashes and they had made like his name and everything itched onto the base. And Oh, wow. Yeah. What do you think is like, like, how did you get, I know it's still like, I was going to say, how did you get through that tough time? But I feel like that tough time never ends. Maybe it gets a little bit easier at certain times, but like, what is it that got you through like those first like few months or like even like a year? So one, my husband is like huge as like my support system. So like having a good base is like really good. Um, like making sure that you build that because if I didn't have these group of women that I came up, you know, on just miraculously on Facebook, it's just kind of crazy. Like Facebook, you know, out of all places, but yeah. these people I've never met before that I formed such a bond with there and all of this, if I had never met them, <clears throat> probably be worse, like on hundred percent, but they kind of helped me through that because I saw that some of them, some of them were stronger than others. And I feel like that's in every situation. There's nothing wrong with like ways that people cope and everything. But I saw it as a platform for me. Like I saw it as, okay, he was here for a purpose. Like it, he may not have had a purpose here with me. And I understand that now it was hard to see that before, but I understand it now that he may not have had a purpose to stay with us, but he had a purpose in our lives somehow. And I feel like it was our platform to reach out to other women and men that had been through this and kind of like help them cope through that because we can say, Hey, we've been there. We know exactly what you're feeling when you're feeling. If you're in a dark time, we've probably been there. Mm -hmm. So what do you need from us? it's easy for a woman to blame herself because it was her body that did this. And that's what I used to say. Like, Oh, it's my body that did this. Like he would be alive if he was in someone else's body, but it's my body that did it. So I failed him. So it's easy to say that you failed him, but it could happen literally to anybody. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part to come to like terms with. But when I started to like overcome, and start to go over from then forward because my husband, we always say, is this day comparable to May 3rd? Because if it's not as bad as May 3rd, then it's something that we can get through because we've already gotten through it. So like, let's just say I'm having a really, really bad day. Things have gone all wrong. Laundries like, all these crazy things are going on. I have a mental breakdown and I'll be hundred percent honest. I have anxiety. I take medication for it. Like I have a lot of things going on mentally. So if things don't go a certain way with me, cause I'm very scheduled planned breakdown, like it all comes crumbling down. The whole world is crumbling. Like everything's wrong. So I have to like keep in order, but there are times where things just like chaotic it the gyms do bad that day I come home Kyle's in a bad mood um Axel's losing it like everything's going wrong and I just feel like nothing could get worse and then me and my husband we like look at each other we talk to each other and I always think in the back of my head 
is this comparable to May 3rd? Because if it's not, then why am I acting like this? Right. Because I can get through this. If I Mm -hmm. can get through losing my child, then I can get through this day. This is not even close to comparison. Mm -hmm. So that's what I tell myself every day. Like, is this another May 3rd? Because if it's not, move on. (laughs) Yeah. What? So... So you had like a pastor, you had like a really good group of friends, your husband's like your rock. Like if somebody, if a a woman is going through or a man is going through the same thing or something similar, what kind of resources do you like, do you know of any other resources that are out there um, besides having like that support system? You talked about like the Facebook groups were really helpful. So what I did was I didn't even know that that Facebook group existed until I started searching for people. So I needed someone to confide in. I needed another. It's not not necessarily that I didn't love my husband and that I didn't want to talk to him about everything going on. It was just that sometimes we needed an outside source for someone to tell us that, oh yeah, they've been through that too. And it's kind of hard to find that when everyone's not very open about those kind of things. Um, we're getting a lot better in America about mental health, but like for a long time, mental health was frowned upon. Like everybody used to always say like, oh my gosh, like you're crazy or you're a psycho or, you know, things like this. But in reality, they have issues that they're struggling with internally and they just need that help or that guidance. And some people come completely off medications after they learn to cope with things, but finding those resources is like the hardest part. I had a friend the other day. um, She posted that she was really thinking about suicide and she wrote her story that she was thinking about suicide. She waited for 15 minutes on the hotline. That's 15 minutes. Like I'm surprised not a lot of people are going to wait a minute. Like (laughs) exactly. If you already have it in your mind that this is how you feel, you're not going to sit there, oh, hold please, and then hold for 15 minutes. So she was lucky that she had a friend that during that time just miraculously texted her and, like, you know, asked how she was doing. But I would say, like, to, like, sum that back in is I would say, like, reach out to, like, people that even if you don't think that they know what you're going through, um, for instance, like, Let's just say that I had a friend, a neighbor down the street, and I really needed someone to talk to. It's so easy to grab coffee. Like, just just go do it. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people don't just need that coffee date, let's catch up. They need that interaction with someone, maybe to unfold how they're feeling. <laughs> yeah. And just be there for people. Like, we're, we're like, we've grown so accustomed to this social interaction that like online platforms that we are losing the capabilities to talk face to face. And that's why people are so on edge as far as like bringing up these topics. Mm-hmm. So I agree. They can't talk about it in person anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, we can't figure out the words to say because we don't talk about it in person enough. So the stepping stones would be, find a resource such as like Facebook. For me, it was like, okay, all these things that are out there, I know there's got to be something on Facebook. So I looked up actually what I was diagnosed with. I just looked up incompetent cervix on Facebook Mm -hmm. because they have like groups for everything. If you're taking a test, 
there's a group. If you're taking a certain class in school, there's a group. <laughs> like, there's a group for everything. So I looked it up. Come to find out, there's like over 40,000 people in this group. Wow. Like, I was like, oh my gosh. So I my people. This yeah. I, like, I just found my tribe. <laughs> you got an incompetent cervix? Me too. <laughs> Let's yeah, be friends. Hey, girl. <laughs> so, like, and there are men in the group too that they ask for um, help on what to say to their wives. Oh, wow. Times or like how they can go about things like that. So if you don't, sounds really weird, but like if you don't know how to cope with something, like type that thing in Facebook and see what comes up and do not be afraid to reach out because like I'm always here for people. Like I have people that text me all the time, like just randomly, Hey, how you doing? And like, sometimes I need those texts because mm -hmm. those texts are like, Oh, that's a reminder that, you know, all my friends are actually still thinking about me. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm the kind of person that's like, I need help with something. And then I go to find like a book or a podcast about it. And recently, yeah. since I've been um, doing this podcast, I have been searching and podcasting is like a fairly new thing. Like it's not too new, but there are still a lot of people out there that have yeah. no idea what a podcast is. And they're like, so like, when do I get on? Like, what time does it start? And I'm like, <laughs> That's not how it works, but, um, not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm the kind of person that it's looks for, it. yeah. And I've been finding a lot of things, um, a lot of podcasts that are about, um, like I found one the other day that it, it's basically like women get drunk and like talk about like how much they hate their kids. Like, and it, there's nice. some, there's something for everybody. And, um, so yeah, like there's, you just have to search it. And I feel like a lot of people are, um, hesitant about reaching out for fear of being judged by somebody, um, and just letting that wall down. Um, but I do think that, uh, people will be surprised at how caring people actually are. Agreed. hundred percent. Because it wasn't until I like started talking about my story that I realized that there's a ton of women out there that have been through similar situations that when I opened the door, they started opening their doors too. So mm -hmm. we just got to be a lot more open with everyone about the things that happen. Yeah, so. I agree. Um, you were talking about you're going to school to kind of like shift gears. Like, did you mm -hmm. want to say something about that? Yes, actually. So, you know, I talked about how the nurses were phenomenal, like during like what happened with um, River, but then also those same set of nurses helped deliver Axel. And so I was like, you know, they got to see both sides. They got to see the good and the bad. And I know, I know that I say bad with like River, but you know, you don't come into your job every day thinking that you're going to deliver a baby and then you're going to have parents to say bye. Right. Like, people don't understand that that is part of the job too. You're not just the happy person. Like you're not just like even doctors, they may deliver a baby that's stillborn. Like it's not all candy and roses all the time. It's not the happiest place. So like for me, um, River was my sign. I wanted to go back to school for nursing and I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse. And I wanted to be there for people that have been through the good and the bad times. And I knew that I could do that. Like I could be that person for someone that is going through a similar circumstance but I can also be that person for someone that is going through the birth of their first child. So 
I wanted to give back. And I feel like River kind of guided me in that direction. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Well, congratulations. That's so exciting. So like how far along are you? I just finished my first semester straight A's. So. Oh my God. That's awesome. And it's a two-year program. Is that right? Yep. I have three semesters (gasps) left to go. That is so crazy. Okay. So straight A's, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're running businesses, dealing with deployments. Like that's insane. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think everybody has like their way of dealing with things and how they like stay focused and stuff. If I start to slow down, that's when my world gets crazy. Yeah. Um, now if I continue to stay like, okay, keep things growing, like have this going, have this, do this, do this. And I have like a planner with like, everything's color coordinated, like all of us the same. So like, as long as I stay busy, my life, it doesn't get chaotic, but I live in the chaos. Like that's how I succeed. That's like how I succeed, how I survive. It's like, there's always got to be something else going on. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I can kind of relate to that too. It is nice when like right now, um, so I got into physical therapy school and Woo! I start in January. Yay! Yeah. I, so I'm excited about that. So you're giving me hope that, you know, moms can, it can be done. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is a blessing that this time is like a slower time so that I can hang out with Mm -hmm. Miles and really get to like bond with him before I start Mm -hmm. school and he has to like go to daycare or whatever. Um, So I'm thankful for that. Um, And like Jeff is deployed right now. So that is making it like really tough with it just being him and I, Miles and I. (laughs) Um, And I, I like want to run out of the house, like with my hair on fire, Mm -hmm. like every day. (laughs) Um, It's really tough. Yeah. You just kind of have to like build your schedules around it. So like for me, uh, yeah, I took 18 credit hours this last semester. <laughs> oh my God. The story keeps getting juicier. <laughs> yeah. So, and I won't do that to myself again, but I made it. But what I'm saying is like, I, I don't think I want to do that much again. Mm-hmm. So with Axel, what I would do is every night when he would go to sleep, which is the same every night because he's on a schedule. Dude never misses. If he were to ever miss 8.30 bedtime, I would think something seriously wrong with my child. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. he's been the same for, like, the entire year he's been here. So. A lot of moms listening are like, teach me your ways. <laughs> it's, I'm OCD. That's why. We do not drift from the schedule. The schedule is the same no matter what. That's, that's going to serve him later on. And he's going to have like very good discipline later on in life. Right. So even when my in-laws came into town, they kept him on the schedule. Like they were like, oh, y'all, it's almost 830. We have to hurry up and get bath time and then bedtime, you know, and bottle. That's it. <laughs> like they, they kept him. They know how I am with schedules. But the schedules is important also for things like if you're going to school or you're doing things like that. Because if they're not on a schedule, it does make it a lot harder on you. Because, like, Axel goes to sleep till 8.30. I'm talking right now. He's literally one room over, and it doesn't affect him at all. Mm-hmm. But I can do my schoolwork. I can listen to lectures. I can do all of that. And I, I was usually up to like 11 o'clock, but I knew that I would still get eight hours of sleep Yeah. or I could get up a little earlier, do a workout. And I knew he wouldn't get up to like 8, 15. Oh, gosh, so yeah. when he would get up and I know he has two naps during the day, 
So he would have, I would have that nap time and then his other nap time. But when I'm in, when I'm working and we're not COVID over here, quarantine, it's a lot different because I'm at work all day. So Mm -hmm. if I have downtime, I work on my stuff during my downtime. But if, you know, like the same thing happens then I just get up a little bit earlier in the morning and then I do stuff later in the afternoon. That's awesome. I love that you have them on a schedule like that. That was, that was, um, uh, a suggestion, I guess a lot of moms told me, um, early on is like, get your kid like on a schedule, like as soon as you possibly can. And I tried to do that with miles. And for the most part, um, the schedule has like kind of worked. Um, but like, he's not napping right now. Um, and (laughs) he'll, he'll maybe take one nap a day for like 45 minutes to three hours. It depends. But his like nighttime sleeping is going, has been going really well since like three or four months. So he goes to right now, he's going to sleep a little earlier, like seven 30, but, um, like eight o'clock to seven 30 in the morning, like he'll sleep the whole time. Um, so I'm like blessed that that is good, (laughs) but the, like during the daytime stuff, like the napping has like been really like off and on. Um, but I'm glad that the nighttime sleeping is good. Like I couldn't, um, ask for more. I I guess I could, like, I would like him to nap during the day, but like the nighttime, (laughs) I'm like super happy he sleeps at night. (laughs) Honestly, that's like when the the guys are gone and like, it's only you doing everything. You're exhausted as like already. So like just having them sleep through the night is like the most important, honestly. So I, um, so I kind of want to close this out and I want to ask you, um, for, uh, like, like you say, is this is kind of what I feel like your mantra is you say, is this, is this worse than May 3rd? Like that's kind of like the mantra that you have in your head when things are going rough and you're like, no, it's not, then I can get through this. And so, um, so if that is the mantra, or if you have another mantra for, for moms that are going through a really hard time, whether it's like a hard life event or maybe just something that happens during the day. Um, what's like something that they can tell themselves to kind of just get through it. Um, pick the worst moment that you could possibly have in your life and say, does this compare to that? So I'm every single person that's on this podcast has a worst moment that they've had. Um, whether it be losing a parent whether it be losing a cousin, aunt, uncle, someone close to them, their child, miscarriage, they've all had something happen to them. And I'm pretty sure that they can remember those exact moments of how they felt and like the worst that they felt. And then take that and say, is this day compared like any comparison to that? And more than likely, no, we're going to get through this. We'll make it through this day. This day has no comparison on the things that I've been through as a person. So let's move it. Let's get through this day. I love that. Cause I feel like when I'm going through that hard time, I'm like, God, oh, this is the worst day ever. Worst day ever. And, yeah. But in all actuality, if you compare it to your worst day ever, it's not. And then it kind of takes, it kind of relieves you a little. Cause you're like, I've already gotten through that. Back. Yeah. That's, I love you that. That's awesome. And you're like, okay, like I'm just being over dramatic right now. Yeah. I felt like this was my worst day, but no, not quite. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on here and talking about this. I, like I said, I feel like a lot of women are 
why I created this podcast is because I feel like a lot of women are struggling in silence with whatever it might be, whether it's losing a baby, um, having a really hard time in their marriage, um, whatever it is, they just feel like they're the only ones going through it. And so they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to be judged. Um, when all actuality, thousands of people are probably going through or have been through the same thing. So I appreciate you speaking your truth and getting your story out there. I think it's going to help a lot of people um, maybe open up about something that they're going through um, or maybe even just be able to have a better conversation with someone yeah. that they know that has yeah. gone through something like this because because people that have gone through hard things need people to talk to too. And even if you can't relate specifically to what they've gone through, just being like an ear or a shoulder um, is really helpful. Exactly. I 100% agree. Just being there. Wow. I don't know about you, but that interview blew my mind. I am so grateful for Chelsea coming on here and speaking her truth about something so tragic that has happened to her family. Always remember that you're never alone. You might have to make the first move and reach out to someone, but just know that you are going to be met with so much grace and so much understanding. Thank you so much for spending time with me today on the Growing Pains podcast. If you vibed with this episode or think it might add value to someone you know, please share it with them. Like legit, go send it to them right now or post it on social media and tag me. I am so damn grateful for you and I appreciate being on this journey with you. Talk to you later. Bye.